0: To the weekly deep dive podcast on the Add-On Education Network, the podcast where we explore the weekly come-follow-me discussions and try to add a little insight and unique perspective. I am your host, Jason Lloyd, and here in the studio with me is my friend and producer, Nate Pfeiffer. What is up? Hey. Hey, in this episode, we're going to be talking about how the works of God and his designs cannot be frustrated. There's also a lot to learn from the, the lost 116 pages of the Book of Mormon. We're going to look at some of the, the context to what was going on in Joseph Smith's life at this time. Then we'll take a quick peek at Doctrine and Covenants section 4 before we move on to the counsel that God gave to Joseph Smith and Martin Harris in Doctrine and Covenants section 5. So sit back, enjoy, and here we go. To begin, let me let me just open up the scriptures real quick so I can read it. You can probably just edit that little snippet out. Or
1: maybe I won't. Maybe we'll all wait uncomfortably for you to do this.
0: <laughs> probably. Okay, Doctrine Covenant is section three, verse one. The works and designs and the purposes of God cannot be frustrated, neither can they come to naught. And I think that's a very comforting statement, but it's a very cool statement. And what it reminds me of is J.R.R. Tolkien, when he wrote the Silmarillion, it's a, a story. <laughs> I don't know if you're you're into Tolkien or not or or followed much of his works. But this one is the creation account of how Middle-earth came to be. And so you've got your gods sitting here, your, your aners is what they're called, and the, the, the lead god here cues them up on a song like a choir director. And, and they're all singing, and as they're singing, it, it's the creation taking place. And the most powerful of them, his name is Melkor, and he's a little bit discontent here. So every now and again, he weaves in this, and, and you should appreciate this, Nate, coming from your music background. I'm ready. <laughs> he brings in this, this discord, is what they call it, where, where he tries to start singing a different song to just be a little bit rebellious encounter and he, and he starts singing it loud to the point where where the other ones singing next to him start start tuning into his song and then the lead God's kind of got to get him back on track and and he changes the tune up a little bit and brings them all back together and you've got this back and forth play almost kind of this this good and evil And when the song is all finished that the, the head god pulls them all together and says okay I want to show you what you created in in music and he shows them the creation of the world and he says even when you tried to frustrate me when Melkor the most powerful of all of you tries to frustrate me by singing in the discord or adding in these bad notes or these bad tunes trying to ruin the song all he did was glorify my work even more and he shows them the 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 discord that Melchor was singing in there brought about the cold and the frigid temperatures, and yet God changed the tune and brought about the snowflake and, and the beauty that comes with, with the snow. And you know this, this kind of back-and-forth play goes out. I, I, won't, I won't tell you the whole story, but just showing you that even when Satan or evil or whatever the case may be is trying to frustrate the work of God, really all it does is play out to magnify or glorify it. And I, yo, go ahead.
1: I never read any of that stuff. <laughs>
0: it's, it's it's an interesting read. I'm I'm kind of excited to see the. Uh, you, you saw Amazon dropped a billion dollars on a, a new Lord of the Rings series TV oh, series. Wow.
1: I just actually uh, finished watching the Hobbit movies, um, not the cool cartoon ones from when we were kids, but like the um, the really terrible ones from when we were adults. <laughs>
0: They, 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 I, don't, I don't think it's they not think It's one better. of those
1: things where it's just like, you're so far into it that you can't turn it off because you've already invested so much time that it almost feels like wasting, you wasted time. I don't know why we do that as humans. We should be way more comfortable with saying, those are sunk costs, it's time to move on, and there's <laughs> no reason I need to finish this terrible movie.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, that could open a can of worms. I've got plenty of bad movies I could talk about, but I'm... <laughs> I'm going to try to stop myself. I'm sorry. I'm sorry.
1: I just took you. I just took you out of the vibe. I'm but glad. Continue. No. <laughs> continue.
0: You're you're good. I was about to take myself even worse out of the vibe. I'm just going to stop myself before I start. All right. <laughs> We've seen some doozies. Um, but going back into this, you know, God's saying that that His plans and His designs can't be frustrated. And then he's going to show that even long before the plates were pulled out of the earth and Joseph Smith started translating it, he had a contingency plan where Nephi made a record kind of going over the same information that Lehi had gone over so that nothing was really important that was lost. There was continuity that kept going and we didn't have to retranslate those pages. Perhaps the greatest example of God's plans not being frustrated, even though bad things are kind of getting weaved into the mix, is probably the atonement itself. When we look at Christ's life, I mean, how many of us, if we could imagine ourselves in that setting right towards the end as he's about to be crucified, what if we were in that crowd and, and not knowing what we know today, we, we see this man that we loved, our Lord, the Savior, and Pontius Pilate stands up and says, who should I release? How many of us would be praying and hoping that that Christ would be released, not Barabbas, right? Barabbas was a murderer. And and when Christ is is still going to be crucified, how many of us would not be hoping, you know, we've got Passover coming? What if what if they were to wait until after the holiday and then give Christ a chance to kind of escape and live and continue to teach us and to continue to grow? All of these bad things that happened, ultimately his crucifixion and the atonement itself, as bad as it seemed, and as much as we would have prayed for for him as a loved one or him as somebody that we care about, wanting the best thing in that situation would have frustrated the most important greatest blessing that has ever been offered to mankind across the earth. And, and that's what happens in our life. As much as sometimes we wish we could avoid the thorns or or pull away from the tribulation or the problems, some of those things end up being the greatest blessings to us. And, and those trials are really what make us who we are and, and make us great. I, I think that
1: that actually, like you said earlier, is comforting because, you know, one of the questions that I still grapple with the hardest is why do bad things happen to good people? And as simple as it is, and and, I, and it's sometimes easy to, um, you know, kind of dis, dismiss it a little bit. Or sometimes the dismissive answer is like, well, you know, because ag- everybody has their agency. But it's like, man, that doesn't make me feel any better about that.
0: And. You know who got it was was Nephi. If if you imagine that guy with his family, and he's building a boat to cross the, the, the seas to come over to a promised land, and before they board that boat, he has a vision where he sees his descendants, and he sees them kind of fall away from the truth, and he sees that the scourge of their existence are going to be the Lamanites. His, his brother's children are going to be... Uh, warring with them, fighting with them, and ultimately, in the end, destroying them. And yet, when he comes away and walks away from that vision, here he's got brothers that just just complaining and want to go back to Jerusalem. How easy would it be with him, knowing the future, to just say, you know what, yeah, head back to Jerusalem, that's fine, go. And not take them on the boat with him, knowing what kind of, what kind of opposition they're going to be putting to his kids. But yet, those struggles, those bad things, as you said— That that sometimes we wonder why they happen or why they happen to good people are yet so important sometimes to bringing about God's plan or his purposes.
1: And it also just helps to remember sometimes, too, that like we don't have all the answers in the short term ever, actually. And or maybe I mean, I shouldn't say ever. A lot of times we don't really have the answers in the short term, and so many things are revealed later even in our lives that give us an ad perspective to the trials that we went through earlier and and there's no way that we should ever dismiss people's hurt and and tribulation and the horrible terrible things that do happen to people we just have to understand or at least try to understand that that our perspective is so finite you know our understanding of things of of infinite things is still so finite, and like you said, there's comfort in knowing that the Lord has told us that He will not be frustrated, and that you know He's going to make sure that His His plan is still executed.
0: Yeah, when when poor Joseph Smith's in Liberty Jail and he says all these things will be for <laughs> your benefit, right? <laughs> no, it's it's wild, and and you were um, as I was thinking about this, and I, and I was putting together. You know the, these bad things that are happening, or or s- seemingly bad things that happen, or the, uh, the 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 opportunities for us to learn or to change, or, or just kind of chip away at us. I couldn't help but think of an example that you told me about a, a, a you know instruments and and guitar in particular, how it's framed or put together, or how that that fits into the this idea. Would you mind elaborating a little bit on that?
1: Sure. I think I think what you're referring to is. Um... I, I had to give a lesson one time or, or uh, talk in sacrament meeting or something about um, the idea of um, us being instruments, you know, or, or God calling prophets to be instruments. And, and because of my, you know, day-to-day, you know, music stuff, that's, of course, the type of instrument I think of. And as I was reading how um, the process of building um, a guitar you know raw wood is basically cut and you know kind of roughly you know cut into slabs that will eventually become you know the body of the guitar but to get them to get that hard piece of wood to be able to form into the shape of a guitar you know you have to soak it until it's pliable and bendable and then you take that and put it inside of a frame so that when it hardens back again it's it's hardening back in the right shape I think that's what we're talking about, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and and some of those steps, you know, as you're talking about, you know, soaking the wood, cutting it, clamping it, and and forcing it kind of go to a different direction than what it would naturally want to, and yet it turns it into such a— I mean, you, you turn it into a work of art, whereas in before it might not have been much, right? You're you're adding utilization through the trials that you're putting it through. and And to kind of give us a little bit of insight on some of the trials that Joseph Smith's going through at this time— Right after he gives the 116 pages to Martin Harris, Moroni comes and and takes the Urim and Thummim from him even before the pages are lost, and, and he's got to be questioning, right? You know, in the back of his mind, I have to think that that he was worried because God had told him three times that that he shouldn't do this, but he was more worried about Martin Harris and making sure that you know his financial means, because Martin Harris was financially supporting this work, that that, that he was taken care of. And I think this is a problem that a lot of people get into. We we want to be people pleasers. We want to make people happy and we get caught between rock and a hard plot, a hard spot trying to to please everyone where you say yes to too many people or, you're, you know, you're trying to do this. But Joseph Smith, so concerned for his friend for making sure the work puts forward and he's got so much focus on this, he's got to be beating himself up a little bit that he kept going to God rather than telling Martin Harris no, trying to convince God into making this happen. And if it doesn't, you know, if it, it, it doesn't stop there. Joseph Smith, had, um, Emma had just had a child, right after this happened, right after they gave the pages. But before Martin Harris came back and told him that the pages were lost, Emma was, was expecting a child, delivered the child, and the child died. And not only did the child die, but Emma was on, on death's bed. She wasn't doing well. And in fact, she was sitting gravely ill in her bed, and, and as Joseph was taking care of her and, and she was you know clinging on to life, she told him that one of her big concerns was those pages and asked him if he had called on Martin Harrison to find out what the state of those were. When Joseph Smith found out those pages were devastated or were lost, he was so devastated he thought that Emma that the news would put her over into the grave. And maybe he was beating himself up and thought that the loss of his child, potentially the loss of his wife, the loss of the trans—all of this was because I mean, think of the lessons of what he went through to get these plates out of the ground. And when he took his hand, you know, his eyes off of it for a second, the plates disappeared. Moroni said, "You're not, you're not trustworthy enough. I need you to do this. I need you to do this." And now all of a sudden, he's he's felt like he he betrayed that trust. He let God down. I mean, this. This was like the guitar going through the ring or getting clamped, getting, you know, whatever that process was to turn into to who he ended up being at the end. Just some interesting context there and some interesting, you know, look into what he was going through, not just the 116 pages. I think it's pretty
1: relatable though. Again, I think that I think that that's a very relatable thing to to, you know, us even if it's not specific you know, those, those specific types of things or whatever. But I mean, if you think about it, what, what good or great thing in your life has come without pain, you know, what great thing that, what great thing can you look back on and say, Oh yeah, that didn't take, that didn't take a lot of either physical or emotional or, or, you know, mental pain and, and sometimes agony to then, to then either be taught something or to learn something or to, be given something
0: and a lot of times they become turning points for us or you know at least big moments that we look back on for inspiration or to help us get us through it we we know it's not going to be pleasant getting through it but when we're on the other side we've got that experience and you know we feel a little bit better because of it look at
1: look at every single one of the of God's prophets or chosen prophets throughout the scriptures you know I mean very rarely very rarely If any, I can't think of off the top of my head that it was just like, you know, they were born and everything just went so smooth and they taught all this great stuff and they got translated or whatever, you know, they didn't even have to die. It's like, tell me, tell me any of those stories like of the greatest prophets that didn't have some sort of, you know, deep agony or trial, you know, the Lord, the Lord truly does shape his, his instruments
0: yeah, like the phrase, you know, the rough stone rolling. You're just smoothing out the edges and, and, and turning it into a work of art by the time it hits the bottom. Well, so that being said, I'd like to ask the question, why why was Martin Harris so persistent to get those pages? I mean, what was the big deal? Why, why couldn't he just take no for an answer?
1: I mean, I think I know the answer.
0: <laughs> you know, I think a lot of it, this poor guy was in a – was in a very similar situation to Joseph Smith as far as in the Straits. Here he is, convinced that he's doing the Lord's work. He's spending his money. He's spending his time. When he takes the trip up to New York to to show the professor, the the writings, and see if it's verified to, to get proof that what he's doing is right. This isn't just an overnight uh, journey. This, this is taking several weeks getting there. It's taking several weeks getting back, and the time that he's spending with Joseph Smith, it's an unusually warm year. They're supposed to be getting the crops in. He's a farmer. And, and his wife's worried because instead of getting the crops put in, instead of taking care of his family, he's out, he's out going and visiting New York or he's hanging out at the Smith Farm. He's, he's spending all this time not taking care of them. And she thinks that Joseph Smith is a fraud to the point where she is, she is pressing charges. She is suing. She's taking Joseph Smith to court and accusing him of fraud. And, and Martin Harris, caught between his wife and between Joseph Smith, is trying to appease things trying to you know trying to get her to calm down and and how does he do that you know he doesn't want to he, he doesn't want to ruin his relationship with his wife but he also wants to keep the lord happy so none of this is as clear-cut or, or clean as it looks right i mean everyone here it's not like they were maliciously trying to do anything as much as th- just trying to please too many people and not trying to please god first which is
1: totally understandable Yeah. I mean, if we're just being totally honest, it's there's there is a lot of faith that it would require to not, you know what I mean, not care about the at hand problems like your spouse, you know, (laughs) the person that you're living with and also commanded to, you know, take care of and and do your best to uplift and make happy. So, yeah, I mean, that's I'm not I'm not I would I definitely am not going to be throwing any stones is all I'm saying.
0: Right, right, and you know, even though sometimes it might make sense or we might justify what we do, you know, at the end of the day, it got, God still chastened them. Right, at the end of the day, even though they were trying to make things work or they were trying to please people, at the end of the day, they they were wrong because they weren't listening to to number one, they weren't listening to God. And and President Monson used to say this all the time. Um, he said a couple different ways, but he would say the wisdom of God oftentimes appears as foolishness to man. But the single greatest lesson we can learn is that when God speaks and a man listens, that man will always be right. And so sometimes it might be foolish, you know, that why wouldn't you just show him the work or why wouldn't you just, but God has a reason or God has a purpose, and that's what he's trying to teach them here, that sometimes it doesn't make sense. Sometimes you can't just rationalize it. Sometimes, even though it sounds just a simple thing in your mind that you're going to do it, really the simplest thing is to just listen to god it might appear like foolishness or it might not make the most sense but if you if you follow what you feel and if you follow what god's telling you you're always going to be right and they also give a little tip here because they say that the designs and and purposes of god cannot be frustrated but they also give a reason why it can't be frustrated almost kind of like a guideline for how we can make it so that our plans aren't frustrated as well i mean that would be nice right Verse 2, it says, for God doth not walk in crooked paths, neither doth he turn to the right hand nor to the left, neither doth he vary from the path which he has said. And so as I think about that, his plans can't be frustrated because he's not winding around, right? And I think that's where we get caught in our trap. When we start, when we start deviating or, we, you know, we start wandering away it, it, it creates an opportunity for us to intersect or run into our own plans where really we're the ones that are frustrating our own plans our deviances that we're throwing into the mix is, is frustrating what we do if we're if we're able to walk straight like god that that's how we can that's how we can do it without frustrating ourselves love it okay next up in doctrine and covenant section four this is something that that all missionaries memorize over and over and over again. And uh, a lot of people are familiar with this. It's a very short section. and (laughs) It's a very short section, and I don't feel like we we should really spend too much time talking about it, but it is something that's going to be repeated over and over and over again in the Doctrine and Covenants. And that message is that the field is white and all ready to harvest. And this is a message, a revelation that Joseph Smith gives to his father, Joseph Smith Sr., one year before the church is restored. So even before the church is restored, the Lord is saying, the field is white and all ready to harvest. And we'll talk about this a little bit more in in, in some other lessons because, like I said, it does show up a lot of times in the Book of Mormon. But what I did want to take away from this is the idea that, in the New Testament, you have a couple parables that are referring to the end of times. You've got this idea of, of the virgins that are waiting for the the Lord, the groom, to come to the church. Well, here with the restoration of the gospel, you have the groom that's returning to the church, which is the bride, and restoring that, where the church is now married or or unified, joined to the Lord. The Lord stands at the head of his church. There's now the church of Jesus Christ. In the fulfillment of that prophecy, he also talks about another prophecy that in the last days, well, before we get to the last days, you've got the parable of the wheat and the tares, where the sowers are out sowing the wheat all throughout the field, and then the, the enemy comes in at night and sows the tares among the wheat. And they say, well, what should we do? Should we try to separate it? And they say, no, don't separate it because you might damage some of the wheat in the process. Wait until the end. And and when the field is white and ready to harvest, that's that's when you can separate the wheat and the tares. So that prophecy dealing with the end of times the that when the wheat is matured, this is the Lord telling us we are at that time. The wheat is ready. The field is white and all ready to harvest. Just giving you a kind of an idea of where we sit in, in our timeline according to New Testament prophecies. It's exciting. We're, we're, we're sitting right here towards the end. In the next section, Doctrine and Covenant section 5, I loved how the Lord is focusing Joseph Smith. He says, you have a gift to translate the plates, and this is the first gift that I bestowed upon you, and I have commanded that you should pretend... <laughs> pretend to no other gift until my purpose is fulfilled in this. For I will grant unto you no other gift until it is finished. And I find it interesting that he says, pretend to no other gift. He's saying, not, not only, he's saying, I'm not giving you any other gifts until the, until the translation is done. And seeing that you don't have any other gifts, you're not going to be practicing any other gifts, but I don't even want you pretending like you have any other gifts until this is done. This is your work. You I want have the nose to the
1: You have one job to do.
0: <laughs> you have one job. This is it. Get it done. I, I love it. I love how he keeps him focused. And and really the Lord is prioritizing here before the church is restored. I need that Book of Mormon. I need it translated. And I, I need this to go forth with the restoration of the gospel. Let's let's put one foot in front of the other and, and keep ourselves focused. A lot of times when you're at the beginning of a new project, you get really excited, and sometimes you want to run in like a hundred different directions to get this thing up off the ground. And, and I can imagine that he's he's very you know very similar. He's excited, he's a young prophet, he's got these this opportunity, this information that the Lord's fed him. It'd be fun to just go around and you know, get everything moving. But but the Lord says, hold on, one thing at a time. We also have in here talking about witnesses. He says um, that that there's going to be witnesses to the plates that they're going to use when the Book of Mormon's translated, and we have that at the beginning. We have the, the testimony of the three witnesses. We have the testimony of the 12 witnesses. I just wanted to make one comment on that, that I find it fascinating that, you know, you look at the three witnesses, all of them were members of the church, all of them witnessed to the plates, and yet all of them fell away. And even though all of them fell away, none of them denied their testimony or their witness as to what they saw. What what more powerful witness can you get for something than somebody who turned enemy to it? Because it's not just somebody that was neutral, that was standing outside that maybe you could buy off or whatever. I mean, this is these are people that turned hostile to the church, that, that kind of went away and were kind of negative and, and had bad feelings and hard feelings for the church. Yet as bad as it went and as much as they didn't like it, they they held true to the one thing that they believed that they saw, and they said this happened. I know this happened, and I, I just find it fascinating that these are the people the Lord chose. Because I don't think you could find any better witnesses than that.
1: Well, like you, we were talking about too, again, like the idea that sometimes conflict is is the thing that you know what I mean. Like can bring about some of the greatest purposes. It's like you're absolutely right, and it's something that I've always like seen as obviously a divine. Decision, right? Like I, I don't think that there's any, I don't think that there's that there's anything but a deliberate choice in the
0: people that were chosen to be the witnesses, because it, it makes sense. It does, and, and you know, going back to what President Monson said, sometimes the the wisdom of God appears like foolishness to man, but in the end, it it, it not only it makes sense, but you know, and, and maybe this is why this is such a powerful verse. This this is kind of what I want to finish on. Is, is where it says in Doctrine and Covenants, stop and stand still. And, and I love those directions because we worry about a lot. You know, Joseph Smith was worried about Martin Harris. Martin Harris was worried about his wife. Uh, we're, we're worried about getting all of this work done when the Lord says, no, I only want you to focus on this right now. We we worry about so much in our lives, and, and part of that worry is almost a distrust in God. But, you know, going back to last episode when we were talking about the patience that God had to wait for Joseph Smith to call on him rather than try to speed things up, that that idea of, just be patient and, and stand still. Know that God is there. That his, his wisdom, as much as it might seem like foolishness to, to us, is, is wisdom. His ways are not our ways. And if we trust and stand still and, and put it in him, his ways, like it says at the very beginning, his designs, his purposes cannot be frustrated. His, his paths are straight. It will all work out in the end. Well, that's all I've got for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Tune in next week. We're going to be talking about the uh, the Word of God being compared to a, t- a two-edged sword and how it divides. Uh, so there, there's some reference there. We do talk a little bit more about harvesting wheat in the end. And uh, we'll talk about Revelation, how God answers prayers. It's Doctrine and Covenants, sections 6 through 9. So thank you for joining us. Until in. next time. We'll see you later.